Russo. I'm Weah Bro Derek. I am Weah Bro Sean. And this is the Weah Bros Anime Podcast. Sean, the half-year numbers are in for the Yahoo search, I guess you would call them results, revealing what anime people were looking up the most on Yahoo between January and June. So this would have been the primarily the winter and spring seasons, right? Yeah. Would you care to guess as to what any of those top three results might be? Citrus, um, Attack on Titan, and um, Boko No Hero Academia. You are incorrect on all three. Uh, One of them I don't think you would guess at all. It would be number two. The number two spot is... Actually, I'll just go one, two, and three. Number one, the most searched anime series on Yahoo between January and June was Darling in the Franks. The second, The Seven Deadly Sins Revival of the Commandments, which I think also came out in the winter. And then Pop Team Epic was number three. Oh, really? Okay. I like that. That's cool. But and The big question here is what demographic is still using Yahoo as their primary search engine? If you could find Google's numbers. Is Yahoo like more popular still abroad uh, or is it maybe just with the older crowd that still uses yahoo because that's what they'd been using you know i and i used to love yahoo i was one of those people back when google was really starting to like take off i was like we don't need that we have yahoo and boy was i wrong but part of me just wonders who is it like the 50 and up crowd that's using yahoo and like bing let's look at what ask jeeves <laughs> is ask even still is ask even still around I think so. Let's go. I'm going to Google it. Do it. Well, I'm going to ask Jeeves it. Ask.com, yeah. It's right there. And it looks like Google. Very minimal. I'm going to type in um, Pop Team Epic. Well, it's already taking about 10 seconds to show me anything. <laughs> yeah, it, look just, it looks like Google. All right. Hmm. All right. Does it come to the point where we're coming around again and it's cool to like be using an engine like that instead of Google? No one ever says, hey, man, would you ask Jeeves that for me? It's all, <laughs> hey, Google that. No one says search. Google that. Yeah. So, yeah, Darling and the Franks, though, I understand here. Zero Two, I imagine, is very popular amongst people. And who was it? Like, there are even celebrities that I have seen that uh, who was there? There was one notable, fairly notable celebrity who like modeled her style at like an event she went to after Zero Two, and I forget who it was, but it's like for whatever reason is not good as Darling in the Franks is. It's become super popular, which goes back to one conversation we had however many long ago or however long ago, which was. Well, I think it was our, our show that uh, was for series to get people into anime where I had said that it does, a series doesn't have to necessarily be good to get people interested. And it seems like Darling in the Franks, for whatever inexplicable reason, is one of those series. I don't get it. Me neither. I, maybe people have seen little pieces of the show, not all the show, and seen, <laughs> oh, Zero Two, she's hot. Cool. And that's it. And it, Oh, it's a really popular show. Okay, so I'll, I'll dress up like her. I've I've got to think that is the only way because the series, uh, whatever. We've already talked about that. If you want to hear our thoughts on Darling and the Franks, watch Season 2, Episode 1 of our podcast, Darling, I Need a Hero. 
Uh, let's talk, though, about a series that is popular that is also very good, actually. At least seemingly so here now, starting the third season, we'll enter the week in review with Attack on Titan. Season 3, Episode 3, will drop, or actually has dropped already today. Many of our fine listeners will be watching it later tonight or tomorrow. Uh, so let's get everyone caught up on last week's episode, which was Episode 2, Pain. That would be episode 39 total if you're keeping track of the series as a whole. Things get moving right along even before the opening. Kenny the Ripper and his crew of military police mercenaries have the upper hand and our beloved scouts. They were introduced as a new antagonist. And I thought the Survey Corps was pretty badass. But I, I like Kenny the Ripper's guys too with the with the hooks and the pistols. Yeah, they're, they're cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun watching them uh, flying through the air, fighting each other. It's awesome. They manage to take Levi and company by surprise, and they wipe out a good portion of the squad and then try to steal Aaron and Historia away. One interesting thing to note, Armin has a higher kill count right now than John does. Yeah. Traumatized the hell out of him, but he did save his life by killing one of said mercenaries. Yeah, Armin was pretty uh, beat up over it, uh, having to kill a fellow human that probably wasn't even evil. You know, it's just politics, why they're fighting each other. Things are getting pretty serious right now. People are torturing each other for information. They're making deals behind each other's backs. Uh, it appears as though Commander Irwin is planning for a full-on military revolt against the government with the Survey Corps. We know that the military police and Survey Corps are obviously at odds here. The military police wanting to keep the status quo. Commander Irwin and company, maybe not so much. The garrison hasn't really been brought up. They've been mentioned once in the series. I would like to think that Commander Pixies and the garrison would side with the scouts in this situation. But they really have yet to make an appearance thus far. We do learn, though, that the Rice family, or the Reese family, whoever they are, one of them, uh, Historia's family, is the true royal family. Her issue, I think, was that she was an illegitimate child, though. She has no formal claim to anything, or at least they don't want her to, but she has that family blood, which is important somehow in regards to this whole Titan thing. We also learn that Kenny the Ripper was a guardian and role model of sorts for Levi, and Hanji-san, who is the super cool... I, I love her, by the way. She's the crazy, like, scientific commander with the glasses in case you don't know or forgot but she is wild her and sasha both are great uh, supporting cast characters but hanji mentions that if what she thinks she knows is true now aaron is possibly gonna get eaten yeah so um i'm not sure exactly where they were going with that i don't remember there being anything from the previous episode about Aaron getting eaten or she just mentions it in one line where she breaks into Irwin's room or whatever after they're done questioning him doing whatever according to her Aaron's probably going to get eaten if they don't rescue him and my guess is that would be an attempt to steal or absorb his titan powers in the process there are some powerful people who seem to know a lot more about these titans and how they work in the history of humanity even for that matter and they want to protect that current status quo hanji calls she mentions back to uh, something a conversation that she had with aaron that he had had with ymir who is one of those other titan warriors and some of the others and i believe the assumption here is that someone or something is going to eat aaron possibly historia with the hope of absorbing 
his Titan powers in the process. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I do like where the story is going right now, though. Uh, you'd think that uh, fighting the Titans would be the most intense thing, and, and it is very intense, but the battle between the humans right now, I think, is very intriguing. I like the internal conflict, playing off the whole, the true enemy is a little closer to home than you thought kind of thing. I like that, and I like where this is going. So far, two episodes in, it's it's exciting. Like, every episode has been action-packed. It's a nice change of pace from what we've been watching. <laughs> it really is. And some other series could learn from this. And I think, honestly, they might have learned from their own season, too. Remember, a lot of people were let down a little bit by the end of... Not even by the end of... But most of season two. Season two in its entirety. And it wasn't bad, but it just didn't really have the same intensity. There were moments that were really good, but overall it didn't sustain it throughout the entirety of the season. But they've really hit the ground running with this third season here. I mean... That whole Levi fight scene in the beginning. Like, how cool was that, though, when he slides between two carts, uh, like horse-drawn carriages, like, in the road? It's ridiculous, but they're making it work. Yeah, it's really cool. If, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. It's a lot of fun. And we've mentioned this a few times now. Attack on Titan was one of the series that really, Sean, got you interested in anime as a pretty good thing, right? Yeah, it, it, it showed me that anime could be... Um, just as good as regular TV. Let's move now to Overlord Season 3, another show that is in its third season right now this summer. Episode 4, Giant of the East, Demon Snake of the West. Eins is doing this whole leadership thing pretty well, I think. He's keeping his deadly entourage of demons and other horrors in check, and he's protecting the humans and other people that he actually wants to protect. And it's cool because the issue of power scaling is real here. He goes to the camp of the giant of the east and the demon snake of the west, uh, who are actually just a large troll and a naga, which is like a snake-type deity. And he beats the one troll into submission with extreme ease. So as expected, everyone in this world, at least, well, not, we, we can't say everyone. We don't know the whole world at this point. But just about everyone, at least in their immediate vicinity, is extreme extremely weak in comparison to Ainz and his crew. And he wants to actually test his one uh, battle maiden that he's got, the Lupus Regina. Regina, I forget whatever her name is. And she's the one that's been in that village of Carne. He wants to test her and then also have a reason to invite Enri and Nifri from Carne Village to the Great Tomb of Nazarek. So he goes and he absolutely clubs the F out of this troll, beats him into submission, uh, uses a spell to subdue all the other trolls that are also there. What are the chances now that you think that Ainz is going to actually supply the army for the Demon Snake of the West and the Giant of the East to make them more formidable and actually test Carne Village and his own entourage. I'm not sure. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I'm a horrible, I guess, but I didn't pick up on that. I didn't know that's what he wanted to do. I think that's what he wants to do. Um, I, I mean, I can't... He wanted to protect Carne Village. Well, he wants to protect, like, three people specifically. Uh, he wants to protect Henry, Nefri, and their grandmother. And then the rest of the village is possible. But he said that everyone out, like, the goblins and stuff are pretty expendable. But he also mentioned once or twice that he wanted to test Lupus Regina. And at the end, we get, uh, you know, the, the very end, it looks like... The fight is coming to Carne Village. Henry wakes up, they're sounding the little bell thing, and they say, oh, here it comes, get ready. I have a feeling that Ainz is actually going to supply 
these guys with an army that is much more formidable than what they had, or he's going to use magic to really beef them up. For whatever reason, he's going to test what's-her-name, and I don't know if it's to reveal her character or to just keep his own people interested because they are so much stronger, and because of that, again, they're not really valuing human life in any way. But overall, this is another series, though, where things are actually happening, which is nice to see, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I like the the pacing in Overlord 3 so far. And, uh, yeah, the world building is still on point. Loving it. Yeah, and I was a little concerned because it seemed like this one might start out a little slow. That first episode of this season was very, you know, let's just meet all the characters again. We'll have them make fun of each other, do whatever. And then slowly they started bringing back the humor, though, that made it really likable, the awkward kind of humor, mostly centered around Ainz not really knowing what he's doing, being the most powerful being quite possibly in this universe, or in this world at the very least. And now, though, we're getting more plot development, and it's great to see this from the perspective of some of these other weaker characters as well. And I liked this at the end of the second season because it makes it interesting, because honestly, Ainz and his whole crew are so far superior to everything that's naturally appearing in this world that if we didn't get things from the perspective of others, it might honestly be a little boring. I gotta agree. It'd be like uh, if in One Punch Man, all we did was watch Saitama and he's the best. That's a good analogy. And we get Saitama's story that he's bored to death because nothing gives him a challenge. And here we get Ainz. The story is more so about Ainz trying to, one, maintain his great tomb of Nazarick and keep all his NPC entities in check so they don't just run amok. Two, learn how to actually be a real leader and still seem like he know like he knows what he's doing. Three, his dual identity of being the bad guy or the great, like, lord of the great tomb of Nazarick, and then also this adamantite-class hero, the Black Knight Momon, as well, and his dual personality that he's got going on. And then, yes, yeah, seeing things from the perspective of some of these other ancillary characters that make it interesting, because to them, these fights are a struggle. To the humans, battles against goblins and trolls and other things are very scary. But all the while, I get the feeling that we're subtly seeing, you know, we're seeing glimpses that a lot of his people just really don't care for humans and other things. And I still can't help but feel that down the line, there's going to be a split or a faction that might split or somehow turn on Ainz. Demiurge might be a part of it. I think Solution might be a part of it. Honestly, even this other chick, Lupus Regina, might be a part of it. Yeah, the, the, the ones that don't seem to care too much about humans might split off. I've got the same feeling. Uh, at least we can rely on Sabus, though. He's a pretty cool dude. He'll back Ainz. Unless he's... I can't, I can't say what I was going to say. Sorry. Okay. Uh, let's then move along to uh, Steins Gate Zero, episode 16, Altair of the Point at Infinity, Vega and Altair. The big thing in this one, episode 16 now, Okabe discovers that Daru and Maho are working on the time machine. The two of them are on a bit of a deadline because the machine only has enough juice to go back one year, and they're quickly approaching the day in which uh, Karisu died in that timeline. So after that point, they will not be able to go back and change the world line unless they can construct a new time machine of their own, which is why they've been doing it in secret. Uh, and because this world's rules are stupid, 
saving Karisu means this whole universe's rules are stupid. Saving Karisu means that you kill Mayuri for whatever unexplainable reason that they can't quite figure out. And Okabe's reasoning is that if they build this time machine and start messing with things again, they'll throw away Karisu's sacrifice and go right back to the way things were in the Alpha World line where Mayuri bites it. And uh, Maho disagrees with Okarine. She believes that there is a solution where there is a world line where Mayuri, uh, Kirisu, and World War Three. You know, World War Three doesn't happen, and those two survive. And she's willing to uh, do what it takes to get get there and discover that world line. And Okarine, he's been so hurt and damaged, he doesn't even want to try. And, uh, this episode, they're just. They're still butting heads, but I think it's starting to get to Ocarin, and he might be changing his mind. Yeah, there was a big verbal and physical altercation that took place in the lab when Okabe discovered what Daru and Maho were doing, and Daru actually ends up, ends up punching him in the face at one point. Uh, but they get over it, though, and then Okabe and Maho are having this talk on the roof, and Okabe's saying he does not believe that it is possible for them to change time in any significant way as like you were saying he's tried several times before and it just has not worked and he needs to protect the decision that Karisu made to save Mayuri instead and that's his way of honoring her or whatever so he's just gonna let things go and try to keep them as it seems as nature intended as God intended in this world line but Maho is convinced more so that the universe is a formula she's got the more scientific approach here and that Stein's gate the point they want to reach is like the y of the you know y equals f of x type situation right and the point at which they seek in which Karisu Mayuri or Karisu and Mayuri are alive and they avoid World War III does exist. They just have to find a way to get there. Now, of course, the problem is there's a near infinite number of possibilities and they're looking for maybe one out of all of them. And to be fair to Okabe here, his experiences in failure have been far more traumatic than anything Maho has ever dealt with living in the shadow of Karisu. So she says, I understand about your failures and stuff, but I don't know if she really understands the struggle he's been going through and hence the reason he's been so passive throughout all of this. I don't know. I think he explained it pretty damn well. I, I think uh, she's, you know, she kind of isn't sure of herself, but she is sure that uh, she can find a solution and that it's worth trying, trying for. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know. I think Ocarine made his case pretty clear. Yeah, I think he spelled it out the best finally at this point than he has in any of the other episodes or instances where he's tried to tell people what's going on sooner. He was way less vague this time. This is the first time, really, that he's spelled it out for people. Like, this is the problem, this is why. And it's good now that he's finally doing it, since we're halfway through the, over halfway through the series. It's really a conversation that he has with Mayuri at the end of the episode, though, that I think is going to be what actually gets him on board with the rest of the group i hope he does man. i'm so ready yeah well my yuri's got th there's a little side story that occurs the, those were the big details but there's also this thing going on with my yuri and ruka calls her out right at the beginning of the episode for being a hopeless romantic because he can tell that she totally has feelings for him even if she doesn't really understand what those feelings are and while this whole argument is going on with okabe maho daru 
in the lab by, of course, crazy random happenstance and dramatic coincidence, it turns out uh, Mayuri is also heading over to the lab and she's on the outside of the door hearing this as it's going on. And that's where she hears about the sacrifice that Karisu had made in the other line and how Okabe wants to protect that because otherwise Mayuri dies and he tried several, several, several times to save her and he just couldn't figure it out. And that's why he's so messed up over all of this is just seeing either Karisu or Mayuri die again and again and again and again and feeling powerless to actually do anything about it. And so at the very end, they're in a park that they visited or frequented when they were kids and they have a very serious conversation. It's a very dramatic moment by Moonlight. Yeah, it's pretty touching. I don't like seeing Mayuri cry. I know, right? She's the best character in all of this series, in all of Steinsgate. I truly believe that. And she is the most wholesome. And Okabe's walking by, blowing off some steam after the conversation with Maho and Daru. And it's nightfall, and he happens by Mayuri sitting on the bench in this park. And she lets him know that she heard this conversation and she thinks, you know, was it really right that she be the one to be saved or because and is Okabe really happy with what's going on because she can tell again she's perceived as kind of dim-witted in a lot of situations but she can be really smart and she's very smart emotionally. She's very in tune with what people are thinking and feeling. And she can tell that he's been suffering this whole time, even though he says everything is fine. And he tries to say that, too. He says everything is fine. Don't worry. Don't think about anything. After 16 episodes, we've reached the point where we can't keep doing that. Something has got to give here. And Mayuri breaks down, and she has this moment. Are you sure this was right? Maybe I should be the one to die. And that really hits hard. It's a very dramatic scene. And of course, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I like that. And I think that actually this series has been missing a lot of that. We got a lot of shouting in this episode, a lot of yelling and screaming and crying. And so maybe it was a little excessive at points, but at the same time, we've been waiting for something like this for over half of the series now. This episode's about 10 episodes late. Yeah, I agree with you, but uh, I think better late than never. So the question is, is Steinsgate Zero actually getting better now, or is it still too soon to tell? No, it's getting better. Still, I, I don't know if I could tell somebody, hey man, watch this show, it's great, but it gets really good 16 episodes <laughs> in. It will be interesting to see, though, if it redeems itself um, as a series as a whole now in the late stages of the season. The next one will be episode 17. It is slated for 23, I believe. So we are coming up towards the end. We'll be entering the final six episodes. And it is finally starting to pick up. And we've said this two or three times now, but I think this is this one is the episode where things finally start moving. I sure hope so. <laughs> I really do. There is uh, one other discussion I want to have here on the show today. One more thing I want to talk about before we wrap things up. And it was prompted by a comment I read on an episode of Hanabato, which I'm watching. And I had fallen like three episodes behind because I got pretty busy and such, but I, I caught up today. And the individual who left this one remark on one of the episodes was very upset that the anime adaptation airing right now uh, at six episodes in 
has changed some of the events or one of the events at least that took place in the manga specifically the outcome of one of the matches i've never read the manga uh, but i've done so with other shows uh, and usually after watching the anime but not always so the question i have here is should a television adaptation strive to remain as close to the source material as possible or should they be allowed to change it up some if so what can they change i think it is okay sometimes you just have to like if you've read game of thrones there's so many characters Mm -hmm. and you know in the in the tv show they have to they like merge characters like things that happen to two characters all of a sudden would happen to just one and they completely change things and you know the books are not finished but the filming is so yeah they got to change stuff so i think it is it should be allowed but i understand what this guy's talking about because they they go overboard and they change way too much or change things for the worse as you were saying obviously an anime adaptation much like any other tv or film adaptation from a book or from something written Uh, They often lack the same level of background detail or information or characters just due to those time restraints that come with the medium of being televised instead of read. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, an anime series is only getting 12 or 13 episodes to work with, so some stuff does have to get cut. But what about when it comes to changing those plot points? Like you were saying, some, we've seen it with Game of Thrones and other things where certain characters get merged. Sometimes we get new characters with certain series. Konosuba did that. But one thing specifically that I know we can both talk about, uh, and you, Sean, you're actually probably a better expert on this because you've more recently done this, but Berserk is one where they made some changes in the anime adaptation you've seen the anime you've read the manga do you view the changes that they made in berserk as acceptable or was it problematic i actually do think it was acceptable because in the manga it's way more i mean it's dark there's like it could be an x-rated anime and they had to cut quite a number of things and i think they did a good job it's still dark and gritty but it's not so so dark and gritty like the manga there's not as much creature rape everyone gets raped everybody you know, and, you know, and, and, and realistically, all right, all right, that's something that you probably could. And it, are there some fans somewhere that probably saw that and went, this is weak. This is nothing like the original manga that I read. You know, like, I don't know, maybe. There were probably some people that were upset that it wasn't as faithful as possible adaptation, but you can understand why they made the changes that they did. So are some fans just too picky then? I mean, unless something is a truly egregious and awful adaptation that is absolutely nothing like the source material except in name shouldn't people just be happy that the series they like is going to be getting more publicity that will hopefully draw people to that original source material whether it be manga novel video game etc i don't know i do think people you know there's a lot of fanboys that would get upset about any changes but there are some like really gross and disgusting things like uh let's say uh an anime studio decides to add a new kid character just because they want kids to watch the show stuff mm-hmm. like that like for ratings yeah I'm, I'm not on board with that yeah or even censorship such uh or stuff uh pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh actually had a lot of content that was censored from the japanese releases 
for American audiences because they wanted to cash in on kids and they didn't want the kids shows having guns and things in them. And so Bandit Keith has a gun. He pulls it on Pegasus at one point. They completely erase it. This is Yu-Gi-Oh, right? They completely erase it from the series. You know, and with Pokemon, there were entire there were entire episodes that have been nixed. Well, one in specific, I believe, that was nixed because the humor was sexual in nature. Was it Brock Brock hitting on somebody? No, it was uh, Jesse and James related. Oh, I want to see that. You can probably look it up and find it. But, uh, you know, and so censorship is another thing. These companies, again, they want to cash in on their product as much as possible. And so a lot of them will make decisions to cut certain things or change certain things for fear of potentially receiving backlash. You wouldn't want an angry legion of suburban moms getting upset because their kid knows about guns and is going around waving his fake gun at people because he saw it in Yu-Gi-Oh! or whatever. Like, you see from their mindset, they don't want to deal with that. So is it an acceptable thing to do or not? I don't know. Maybe. To a degree. There's obviously, you can go too far, but... Circling back to Hanabato here, I thought it was fine. Maybe the story that they're going on for the anime adaptation here is a little different from what it is in the manga, but they're only working, I believe, with 13 episodes, possibly 12. And so maybe they looked at, you know, they got together and they thought it was best to just come up with their own thing. Uh, And it's not uncommon for anime to have different endings. Claymore did it. It had a different ending because they weren't sure if they were going to get a second season. And so they wrapped it up in their own way that gave that first season definitive closure but left it just open enough to where if they got the go-ahead for more they probably could have milked it for another season now that hasn't happened i don't think it ever will but it was a good decision at the time and so i'm sure people were upset that it didn't end the way that they felt it should have but they did what they felt they needed to do to make it a complete product and at the end of the day how can you really be mad with the studio for doing that that's a good change that's a good example of a good change I want to add a little side story about censorship. And uh, so you played Resident Evil 2. Mm-hmm. So Resident Evil 1, when it was censored, uh, when it was released here in the U.S., a lot of the blood and gore was cut out, and uh, Japan decided to release a director's cut. So they re-released the game, and they said they'd add in all the gore and everything that was re- that was cut out. Mm-hmm. But they they forgot to actually add it into the game, <laughs> so they they released the director's cut. And it was exactly the same. <laughs> I, I don't know why I wanted to tell that story, but it makes me laugh so hard. How long ago was that? That was ninety six. Ninety six. So that was before the time. Like they couldn't just release an update patch that sort everything yeah. at that point, right? Yeah, they were they were screwed. They ended up releasing a third version that still didn't have it. That they released like a it had like a dual shock support. So they released the game three times over here. Oh man. Makes me glad that we're in the era we are now with digital download and distribution for a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'd be a day one patch. Sorry, oh. <laughs> With that, I think we'll wrap things up. If that's all you've got for today, that's all I've yeah. got for today. Yep, I'm good, man. 
Get involved in the discussion now at theweabros.show. That's the new URL. It's W-E-E-A-B-R-O-S, weabros, theweabros.show. Thanks, as usual, for listening, everyone. Next week, we'll have the same usual shows in the week in review and more random stuff we come up with. One of these days, we'll get to another Vault of Series past venture. But uh, I've got some stuff going on. I'm getting a, I've actually got a new job lined up here in the near future, so I'm getting things in order for my departure at the previous job, getting ready for the new one. So I haven't had as much time to plan a lot of this stuff out. But once all that is taken care of, I imagine we'll have more time to get back to some of those other third segments and the Vault of Series past especially. So I know people liked that one. I sure did. Thanks for listening. Follow me on Tinder. Wait, hang on. Do you mean Twitch? No. (laughs) Nah, don't follow me on Twitch. I don't give a shit. Follow me on Tinder. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Speaking of Resident Evil, do you want to plug that here at the very end? I I stream on Twitch. uh, Laser tag with a Z. Laser tag 88. If you want, go ahead. If you don't, whatever. All right, there you have it, folks. Now we're officially ending the show. This has been another episode of the Weabros Anime Podcast. See ya. Thanks for listening. Bye.